before we start this episode, this episode of The Locker Room is presented by bbchick.com. bbchick is a recruiting service made just for women's basketball players. Unlike other recruiting websites, this innovative hub offers an enchanting blend of affordability and unwavering support, empowering coaches to forge deep connections with talented players through their own personalized live profile. With access to over 2,000 coaches, bbchick can help you contact coaches through email and monitor each of their movements on your profile with their remarkable coach tracker. BB Chick is sure to benefit or kickstart your recruiting process. Use the link in the description to sign up for BB Chick to jumpstart your recruiting. With that being said, cue the intro music. Mic check, mic check, one, two, one, two, what is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Locker Room Podcast. I'm your host, Wyatt Lister. Today, or I guess tonight, we have a very special guest, my guy, Ethan Flynn from Gonzaga University. Ethan, bro, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. I'm glad we could finally connect and yeah. get this rolling. Let's get it rolling. We literally just lost the first 30 minutes, so we're, we're running it back. Um, all for the fans. It's, it's all for the fans. This is all for you guys, but let's just get right into it. You want to just briefly introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, so my name is Ethan Flynn. I play golf here at Gonzaga University. I am from Truckee, California. Um, I'm 20 years old, and yeah, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, a true a true stick out here. First golfer we've had on the pod, so let's get right into it. Ethan, your golf, um, your dad was a golfer at FSU. He's now a head pro. Where? Where's so he pro? he was. He's actually. Was. Yeah, he's a he's in real estate now, but he was oh. he was at Whitehawk, which is close to close Truckee, Tahoe Donner, and then he was at uh, Squaw Creek, which is the base of Squaw Valley for for those skiers out there. Right. You just want to tap in on your dad's uh, golf career and you know how that influenced you when you were starting to pick up golf. Yeah. So he. Played at this big, big high school in Sarasota, Florida. Um, they were just kind of a powerhouse in sports. He played all four years there. Um, they won a national championship, played with a bunch of guys that played at really high level D1 golf as well. Um, then he went on to play at Florida State for two years, transferred to UCF, which is University of Central Florida. Um, then ended up trying to play golf professionally for a little bit that didn't go as he planned for him. So then he got into the golf business, um, became a head pro, like we just said, and kind of got me into the game really young. And now here we are. Uh, so how old were you when you were first picking up a club? So I was at least three, maybe four, uh, when I was kind of introduced to it, I was always around the game. So I was never really forced to play golf. If that makes sense. I was just, allowed to play and i was out there you know beating balls on the range or probably more likely in my dad's office or something but just swinging little plastic clubs around got into it later in life mm-hmm. definitely so you were also like you were more into basketball growing up talk about i guess talk about your you know basketball career and you know what is it like playing basketball in a small town like Truckee. Like, I mean, I'm from Park City, like another small ski town. So, I mean, kind of cut from a similar cloth. Like, 
it's hard to you don't see a lot of guys coming out of like Park City or Truckee who are playing like a high level college basketball. So talk about how like you know understanding that with basketball kind of turned you more into the direction of golf. Hundred percent. So I grew up always always wanting to play basketball, watching basketball. Um, I played all through middle school. Then my goal was to play varsity basketball as a freshman. Um, that was kind of my only goal in middle school and worked really hard for that. However, my going into my freshman year, I kind of got into golf, played in some bigger events and started to love it, but I was still pretty set on basketball. I ended up um, starting about halfway through my freshman year on varsity um, and then played for four years minus the COVID year. Um, loved every minute of it, but just kind of fell in love with golf throughout that. And it just kind of turned me that way. Um, I will say I played all the sports growing up, um, but I've just tried to definitely shape me into a well-rounded golfer. I would definitely say I'm, I'm an athlete more than I more than I am a golfer. So mm. that's helped me a lot. Most definitely. So when did you really start developing your passion for golf then? So I was, Definitely leading into my freshman year was when I thought maybe this was something I really loved. And then definitely my going into my sophomore year of high school, um, I played in quite a few events and played in some big ones and loved, loved every minute of it. And I just loved how yeah, I thought I was good and I wasn't that good. And I loved trying to get better. It was probably the sport I was the worst at at that time. And something about that really drew me in. So then you, I mean, you had the opportunity to play in some, some some pretty big junior events uh, when you were in high school. Talk about the, some of the experiences you had during those tournaments. Yeah, so my dad started a junior tour called TTJGT, the Truckee Tahoe Junior Golf Tour up in Tahoe. That's kind of what got me into competitive golf. And then Was that how you that met turned, Mark? Um, I actually met Mark playing Little League Baseball when oh, we were really? young. Yeah. Really? So that was, I, that, that's my first memory of it. I don't know uh, what he would say, but he definitely <laughs> played a lot of baseball together. Shout out Mark. Yeah. Um, um, and then, so did that, then went on to play some in Reno, which were kind of one day events and then ended up playing uh, JTNC, which is junior tour in Northern California. It's just some big names come out of there professionally, Bryce and DeChambeau, someone a lot of you would know. And then a couple kids that are, there's an All-American now. His name's Ian Gilligan, played in those. And a kid named Jackson Coyvin, who's the number one ranked junior in the country now at Auburn. Um, so just kind of seeing some some big names do some big things and being around them and seeing, you know, what, what could be in store if you work uh -huh. hard enough. Right. And you had, you had an experience with Jackson at a tournament uh, – we talked about this on the first attempt, but uh, obviously no one's going to hear that. So you want to just elaborate on, you know, what that was and seeing his yeah. level of confidence. hundred percent. So it was, I was probably 17. I'm going to go with that. And I was at this event down in Sacramento, Stockton, uh, California. And I walked out on the putting green the second day and I was somewhat in contention. I wouldn't say I was really going to win, but I was there to maybe have a good finish and, 
we were warming up. It was a tiny little putting green and he walked out and some kid asked him a question. He said, yeah, I'm going to shoot 65 and win today. And I'm like, that was a bold statement there. And I, I said, I had to watch him finish. And I looked at the online scoring. He was six under through 17. Um, and he ended up making about a 12 footer on 18 for birdie. I think he ended up winning by three or four and just seeing him, him call that, get it done, go out and do it. And it was just, it was just another day in the park for him. And, it was I mean, pretty impressive. That, I mean, that is a unreal amount of confidence, um, especially to see someone, something like that from a guy at such a young age like that. Yeah. I mean, that truly shows you the skill gap. And he was but, two uh, years younger than I was that time. So, man, so he's 15. More impressive. He was yeah. 15. See, so, I mean, freshman, sophomore in high school, just walking up being like, yep. that, I mean, that is like, Especially, I mean, too, like, I mean, you would know this golf is easily the most mentally challenging sport there is. So to see someone like at that young of an age to have that level of confidence to be, oh, yeah, I'm going to shoot, you know, seven under and win a tournament, like walking into the second day. I mean, that is unreal. Uh, Let's keep it moving. Um, Earlier, uh, you know, I guess. In the deleted footage, we talked about, or you brought up how early on when you really started picking up golf more seriously, you started struggling in some of those earlier tournaments. Talk about what the separation was, at least at the time, between you and the guys who were higher up. 100%. So coming from Truckee, you know, I thought I thought I was the man. I thought I was good. And, and then getting exposed to some much higher level competition, seeing what what they were doing well and what I wasn't. Um, a lot of it came from where I was being in Truckee. I played a half at best, maybe a third of the amount of golf that these kids were playing. And in golf, the experience is everything, being in these situations, being in these positions, reading lies, understanding how to manage the course in your game day in and day out is something I hadn't had nearly as much experience right. as them. Um, however, I could hit the ball. I could hit it hard and, I could hit it far, but these kids were much sharper from tee to green, didn't make nearly as many mistakes and managing your mistakes in golf is everything. So just seeing, seeing how I can improve there was a huge part. Um, but mentally and physically I needed to get better. What were some of the big mistakes you were making early on that were really separating you from the other guys? Um, I would say it's kind of the simple things, um, missing on the wrong sides, of whether that's off the tee or into the green simple up and downs that they're converting. I'm not, I'm not doing, um, which is just around the green chips, making your putts inside of five feet, six feet. These are all big things. Um, but even just hitting the ball solidly and in play, uh, every shot is a huge thing that I'm able to do now that I struggled with early on that it's a learning curve and understanding just course management and your own management of your own game is, is huge. Yeah, most definitely. So then talk about like, I mean, obviously how much of a, an effect was high school golf really having on your recruiting or was it next to nothing at all? It was, it wasn't a lot. I would say I had a, I had a successful high school golf career, which helped them seeing the scores helped. Um, we won states as a team and all that kind of helps, but everything in golf is about score and you're and pretty much the number you put up in the end of the day, you could swing like a goofball, but if you shoot 60, 
eight every time you play, you're going to go somewhere big. So just putting those numbers up, it helped, but a lot of it comes from bigger events with bigger names and more recognizable events that coaches are aware of and they understand the level of competition. Mm, most definitely. So then let's get into like your individual golf career uh, when you were in high school and you, when you were really starting to, you know, get good and improve your game. What was it like reaching out to coaches and then getting through all of, even like with the stuff during COVID, but what was it like reaching out to coaches? Who are you reaching out to? Who was getting back to you early on? Yeah. So I, they changed the rules. My, I think I was going to my junior year that you could not, that they had to wait to talk to you till then. So kind of affected me, kind of didn't. Um, but I was, that's when I was able to talk to them. And so I started emailing schools, all the golf schools that I knew of, and then all the schools that had big basketball programs that I knew of. That was kind of my knowledge of schools. And I would just email them, give them my resume, tell them a little bit about myself and hope that was enough just to get a response back, just to kind of get to know the coach. Um, I reached out to a lot of West Coast schools. Uh, start with, I reached out to Gonzaga. I reached out to Washington State, Oregon State. Um, Nevada, UNLV, Florida State, that was always my dream school. Didn't work out, obviously. UCF, um, things like that. And then I was hearing back from kind of mid, middle of the pack um, D1 schools. And that was, I was happy with that. I, I would obviously love to go to the best school in the country, but um, I just wasn't at that level then. And then when COVID hit, all the schools that I was talking to, which included Sac State, Gonzaga, LMU, Santa Clara, a little bit of USF, um, just some West Coast schools, it just didn't work out. They all had fifth-year option guys that were coming back and they couldn't take anyone in that wasn't already committed. And that kind of hurt me But at the time. But at, looking back, I ended up taking a gap year because of that. And it helped me a lot. Um, and I was very happy to take, to do that and go down that road and end up with this opportunity here at Gonzaga. So what were those conversations with coaches like during COVID when, you know, the NCAA allowed all these guys to get a fifth year, what were some of those conversations like with coaches and how were you able to process that? And then into making the decision to take a gap year? hundred percent. It was, uh, was not, not the greatest Grace, the news I've ever heard when kind of coach after coach is saying, hey, we think you're a great player, great guy, but we just, we don't have space for you. We can't take you this year. And I just, I felt, I truly felt I was better than these kids or would be better than them. And maybe they were missing out more than I was. Um, so that was tough to hear, but it also motivated me. And, you know, I knew I needed to get a little better, but a lot of them, just, a lot of conversations just went like, hey, we, we, we would like to have you. We, we tried a couple of one coach tried to get another spot on the team just so I could play there, but it just didn't work out. And, um, you know, God has a plan for all of us. So I'm here now. So before we get into the next question, we'll briefly intervene in this episode with a little bit of quick combo, how this works, quick questions, quick answers, get the combination. We'll get right back into it. If you could play with anyone on the tour, who would you play with? Jordan Speed. You would play with Spieth? Big Spieth right. fan. Okay, okay. I like that. 
Where have you gotten a hole in one, and when was it? Um, so first one I was 15. It was at the seventh hole, old Greenwood, playing with my dad's good friend. Second one was in US o- local U.S. Open qualifying out at Edgewood, uh, Tahoe on number 17, and that one was pretty special. I'll remember that one for a while. Definitely. Um, if you could play any course in the world, where would you play? I've got to make the cross-country trip to Augusta. Go check it out. Mm. When was the first time you broke par? I was 14, to my knowledge, on a real golf course. I was 14 out at Schaefer's Mill. And I remember calling my dad right after, and I was pretty I was pretty stoked. Mm. All right, man. I, this concludes Quick Combo. Uh, thank you for playing. Let's get right back into it. We taught you talked about the decision to make the gap year. What was the talk with that with your family on that decision? What was that like? So I was pretty set on playing college golf and I wasn't wasn't budging and nothing was working out. And my parents said, Ethan, you you have to go to school at some point or another. If you would like to take a gap year, you can, but after that year you're you're coming back, you're going to school. And so I ended up, I ended up doing that. I went down with a really good buddy of mine. We moved to Phoenix, Arizona, worked in Scottsdale and, uh, kind of paid our, our own way, learned a lot about life and played a lot of golf and it, mm-hmm. it made us a lot better and got me, got me in a good spot. Right. For sure. Talk about that experience taking a gap here, because from what it seemed like, it sounded like something out of like a movie. Talk about what that experience did for you as a golfer, but also did what it did for you as a young man. Hundred percent. Um, as you touched on, there was a lot of it was just was just growing up and maturing. I went down there with really not a whole lot of life experience. I worked when I turned sixteen in a golf course, but didn't have to do a whole lot. I was very fortunate to have parents that were always by my side and helping me out. But they said, "Hey, you're you're on your own. You're making you're making your own money here. You're going to pay your own way." So you know, I'm dealing with rental agencies trying to find a place to live. And then you get that done and you think you're in the clear. And now it's only just beginning. And you're going to the store all the time, cooking, eating, calling electric companies, you know, all this stuff that your parents do for you when you're, when you're growing up and it, it makes you mature quick. And, but looking back, you know, managing my money was a big part. And I enjoyed every, every bit of that and got to play a lot of golf. So mm-hmm. it was pretty sweet. Talk about that experience of what your schedule is like, because from what you brought up in the in the lost files, we'll call it, was incredibly busy, and it obviously yeah. did a lot for you. So just elaborate on that a little bit more. Hundred percent. So I ended up. I was fortunate enough to get this job at this little muni called Orange Tree up in Scottsdale, and they let me they let me play for work in there, and so I'd work four or five days a week. I'd open. I'd get there at you know five to six whenever the sun rose and leave at one. And I had from one until seven to, to get better. And so I just practice play. I, my buddy worked at TPC Scottsdale where the waste management is. We got to play out there every once in a while. It was pretty special and we both just got a lot better and it didn't seem as obvious to us, but um, to, to those that weren't seeing us every day, the improvements were pr- pretty massive. Definitely talk about, how big of an improvement that was for you as a golfer and then, you know, what your family saw, like your dad and your sister. hundred percent. Um, so I was, 
I went down there as a decent player and I came back probably two steps advanced. Um, I, my game was sharper. I played in multiple four day events, played in a bunch of three day events with a ton of great college players, West coast college players. And what my dad saw every, you know, two months that he would see me, he said, you're just getting so much better every day. And it's, it was cool to hear him say that. Cause to me, I felt, I felt little improvements, but someone that was not seeing you every day is really going to see it. And to hear how obvious it was, um, it was pretty cool. So to know that all that, all that time you put in and all the work you put in is, it is going somewhere, even if it doesn't Definitely. seem like it. So talk about what it was like to play at a TPC then, because there yeah, are not a so, lot of people who have the opportunity to play that course. So 100%. elaborate on it, that. I want to hear this. Yeah, it was, uh, it's honestly, it's, it's everything that it looks like when we got there. Um, the, the stands were starting to go up. You could kind of see it. You're like, oh, it doesn't really look 16 doesn't look like 16. Yeah. 16 doesn't look like 16 quite yet. And you kind of watch it go up and you're curious and we'd get out. I'd get out there maybe, maybe once a month, my buddy got out there a little bit more. Um, but it's a great golf course. It's in great shape, but playing it when the stands are there is 15 times better. It's a, it's a way, way cooler course seeing everything. Um, but it shows you how good I thought it was a hard course and those pros, they play it, they play it at a high level and they take it deep. So you, you really got to know what you got to do to, to make it. And it's, and even seeing them, a lot of, a lot of pros practice out there. So watching them do their thing and, and seeing maybe what I can take from them to get a little better, um, was, goes a long way. So, I mean, beforehand we talked about, you know, your gap year and you were all, you had already landed a spot at Gonzaga before you yep. got down there. Talk about that and then talk about how much of an effect that really had on you during that gap year. hundred percent. So fortunately, right when I made the decision to take a gap year, I had a couple offers, uh, one from Sac State and one from Gonzaga. And the coach, that was right after I decided to take a gap year, um, or the coaches found out, I should say, I was playing at this tournament up in Oregon um, it was called the, the Hogan cup and I'd had coaches follow me before and that you never really think too much of it. And the Gonzaga coach was there and sure enough, I'm fantasizing about how cool it would be to play at a school like that. And like, yeah, he's probably watching the other kid. It's whatever. And ended up playing all right. Uh, I think I finished ninth or something, hit the ball really well. And I got off the plane cause we left right after the turn was over. And I had a couple different forms of communication from coach gray reaching out to me and he seemed very eager to get in touch and get on a, get on a call. And I, I jumped at that opportunity and it went, things moved quick from that to coming on a official visit up here and then to committing a few short weeks later. Um, it was awesome. So to have, just to know where I was going for the next year and going down there with a clear, clear goal to into my gap year down in Arizona to know what I need to do to get better, to know I have somewhere to go it it plays a big, it plays a big part in, in improvement and knowing what you're doing is paying off. And so now I can really right. get after it. So talk about, talk about your visit and how you came along the decision to go to Gonzaga. And then what is it, what does your practice look like during the winter? Because obviously it's snowing. So where are you going on the simulator when you're doing that? Or what are you doing like for your yeah. workouts and stuff like that? hundred percent. So 
the decision kind of went, I came up here first on a visit and this place is, it's pretty baffling. I came in this in the fall and it's beautiful here in the fall and they have resources out the wazoo here. So we have our own short game facility and flashy rooms and whatnot with all these crazy things. And that made it hard not to come here, but Sac state was another one and they have, they have good weather and you, they can play all year round. And that was a big thing for me is I wanted to be able to play all year round, but the opportunity I had to come here, um, I, I really couldn't pass that up. So I ended up coming here. Um, as far as practice situations go in the winter, we have a indoor, indoor practice facility. I'm, I would ballpark it. It's maybe a tennis court and a half long. So maybe 60, 65 yards long, um, maybe 30 yards wide. And that's most of that's a putting green. And then we have four track man hitting bays that we practice at, um, that we can get pretty dialed in. So we're pretty fortunate to be in a place like this, um, and have, have those opportunities along with the courses around here, we can go practice and play at any of them. And then we have a little short game area outside when the weather permits. So it's pretty sweet. So are you getting out playing anywhere during the winter or not really? Yeah. So we go, I don't, I don't think a lot of people know this, but we, I think last year I spent five weekends on campus. It might, might've been six. Um, so we have, yes, we have either 10 or 11 tournaments. Those are all weekends. So you're gone for all those. And then every Every weekend from when you get back from winter break until our your first tournament or maybe last year was until the end of February. We were going down to this place called Tri Cities, which is yeah, south central in, Washington. In or- yeah, in Washington. Yeah, just north of Oregon. It's literally yeah, right ju- on the border. It's, yeah, it's right on the border. That's what yep. I was gonna say. Yeah. And so we go down there and play and you can play. Um the ball, it looks like it lands on the highway. It bounces so high off the greens. It's frozen and it's cold, but you can play. So I got some I got those little quarterback pouches I put my hand in and we're just off and running. It's a blast. Right. No doubt about it. How much of an adjustment were you really, I mean, you golf. I mean, for someone who golfs as much as you do, it's probably not the big deal, but I mean, for people who don't know this, like when you're playing at six, 7,000 feet, like you are in Truckee or you like you are where I'm from, like the ball is sailing, like at least a full club, if not. Yep like a club and a half, give or take, depending on your skill level. How much of an adjustment do you really have to make, you know, before these tournaments or even when you got to Gonzaga, how much, how long does it take to adjust? And then how much of an adjustment do you have to make? So I would say uh, you talk about clubs. That's a good way to talk about it. We do it in percentages. Um, So up at, I'd say from Truckee to, if you're playing at sea level all the time and you go to Truckee, I caddy up in Truckee. So I go, I go 12% in the middle of a day. I'm like, Hey, this is 12% longer. So if you have an 150 yard shot, that's playing. It's about 17 yards shorter at Truckee than it is down at sea level. So kind of doing that math is where I use the biggest um, differences. Spokane is, I think we're like 2000 feet. So the ball still flies a little bit, um, but not a lot. But yeah, but we, we go, we, we always search the elevation for where we're going to go play. And then we'll put that into the track man's hit a few balls. You'll get a feel for it. And then when you get out there, it's, you're just crunching numbers in the morning. It's not going to go as far. It's a little colder. So you, maybe that number is now 8%. Um, and then in the afternoons, if we're going to go, like we played in Colorado Springs, we were up to 
11, 12% in the afternoon when it's hot and the ball's flying. But like you said, it's a lot of, a lot of numbers, but it, it takes some trust. I would say that to know you're, you're going to hit nine iron and it's going to go 182 yards and you just, you just got to step up there and hit it. Even if there's water or something, do you think adjustment? Yeah. So do you think playing at like such diverse, um, elevation levels has given you an advantage when it comes to playing in tournaments and stuff like that? Honestly. Yeah, I would. I, I mean, our, so the first event I ever played in was that one last year in Colorado and a lot of the guys hadn't played it that high of elevation. Everyone's played at elevation at some point, but I was so used to seeing the ball, the ball fly so far and change so much. Yeah. Like in the morning I would hit a couple seven irons from 178. So it was kind of cold. Like it still gets cold. And then by the afternoon you're hitting them, you know, 202 and it's just a massive difference, but I've, that's what I grew up doing. And I, I knew that was going to happen. And so it helps. And then vice versa, I've played a lot in Monterey where I hit seven irons from 151 because it's foggy and 60 and you're literally looking at the ocean. You're at sea level. So the ball's not going anywhere. And right. Anywhere, near a lot that, of conditions. anywhere close to that distance. Exactly. So that, right. So talk about, your experience in your first ever college tournament or your first ever event you played in, what was that like? And, you know, did you have any nerves going into that? hundred percent. Um, I was, we had qualifying maybe two weekends before and I had played, I'd come up early for school, um, and played in this Spokane city. I played, I actually played pretty, I think I shot 66, 67 the last day hit the wrong ball and ended up shooting 74. I don't know. I lost the tournament by one. I was pretty pissed and I felt good going into qualifying. Um, it didn't go great. Uh, I was pretty, I was very nervous and I don't know why my coach was like, Hey, Ethan, it's, it's golf, man. You're good at golf. You do it all the time. Just play. And so I kind of took that to heart and I had a solid fall, but that first, first tee shot, um, I remember hitting a three iron. I was like, this is a terrible idea. I should just hit a driver. It's the biggest club. I don't know what I'm doing, but, I hit it. It ended up going good. I almost hold the next shot and we were kind of off and running from there, but it's nerve wracking, but it's, it's what you love. It's what you play for. Especially like you're pulling the fairway finder out from yeah. the first hole. <laughs> yeah. That's how, that's how you know you're a little nervous going in. It's yeah. like you're pulling out, you're like, oh, I'm exactly. a little bit safer instead of yeah. you know, pulling out the boomstick. But yeah, yeah. That's uh, and crazy. all college events are shotgun starts for those. That oh, really? Don't know a whole lot. Yeah. So oh, it was a, we're on a random hole. I think I started on like 70 or something. I'm like, this is weird. I just want to start off one, blah, blah, blah. But um, yeah, so it's, there's a lot going on and uh, it's a different world, but it, mm. it's really fun. Yeah. I never knew college tournaments were a shotgun start. That's yeah. They're so, cramming you in there. So, so it was like, are all the, any of those juniors or like amateur tournaments shotgun start or is it not? Um, no, honestly, may. No, not, not any that I remember playing in. I always thought going off 10 was weird. Yeah. And now right. we play, yeah, now we play shotgun starts and you play 36 the first day. And so you go off 13 T at 7 AM and you're just going until the sun sets and hopefully you finish. But, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. It's, it's different, but the first one you play and you're, you're not going to be prepared for it. I don't really care how much golf you played. It's just a different world. Right. No, a hundred percent. So does that, re- I mean, does it throw, do you think the guys on the first team or the first tee have the f- biggest advantage playing in those tournaments or do you think it doesn't really matter? Um, 
I would like to say it doesn't really matter, but there's something about being comfortable starting on the first hole. Like that's the way the course is meant to be played. It's it's designed right. that way. It doesn't, they, it doesn't feel set right. up. Yeah, you're not I've there's not a whole lot of courses you hit three iron off one tee. Um so it feels a little weird, but honestly at the end of the day, I don't think the winner normally starts on one tee in the first round. So it doesn't really matter, but I definitely think it's a it definitely takes getting used to. But after the after the year, I remember playing my first event where I started off one again and I, I thought it was kind of weird. I'm like, right, I can just start off one now. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to this year to have a li- little bit more experience and know, right. know what I'm getting into. Yeah, most definitely. So then let's bring, uh, let's talk about obviously the division one level of golf is, you know, something incredible and very few people are given the opportunity to play that. But what is the difference between a division one level golfer compared to like a D two or a D three golfer at those, some of those lower NCAA levels. hundred percent. Um, I would say a big thing my coach always talks about is if you watch any college player on the range, you're not going to be able to pick the best one. We all, we all look the same. We all hit it well. You know, everyone works out nowadays it's big, but you really start to see it on the course and, decision-making consistency and short game is, is by far the biggest thing guys have elite touch. I would say I have a good short game and I'm still impressed by a lot of guys that I see any given day that I'm playing with. Um, but it's, it's really the easy things. It's something I touched on earlier in junior golf is at college is the next level. I've played with a couple all Americans this past year and they do the easy things. Well, they get up and down when they should, they, they birdie par fives. They keep it in play. They, they're not, they're not super flashy. They're not hitting it 390. They're just, they hit it down the middle and they hit it on the green. And at the end of the day, they're wearing you down. And um, they do that. Great players do that really well and play good players, which any, anyone that's playing in college is a good player. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're doing those things, but not as much as, as right. great players. So that's, mm-hmm. that's, I would say the biggest discrepancy. Yeah, no doubt. So moving from that, what are you really looking forward to next year and the rest of your college golf career at Gonzaga? Um, I would, I would say competing still, but with the knowledge that I, that I now have, um, after having a year under my belt and knowing, knowing what I'm getting into, I'm really looking forward to just getting after it and, and try and get a little better every day and always wanting a little more out of every round. Um, I think that's a big thing for me. We have, we're doing this new thing this year. We have six guys on the team, which is a tiny team in golf. Everyone's going to every event. Normally you have 12 guys. So we're going to have a close knit group of guys and uh, I'm excited to get, get to it with the coaches and see how it all goes. Right. So, I mean, to finally kind of, end this episode off what is next for you when you're done playing golf at Gonzaga yeah so I've had this conversation with my dad a few times um but I'm a I'm gonna turn professional when I'm done uh at college and I'm gonna I'm gonna chase the dream for a while and I'm feeling pretty good that's yeah that's that's what I've spent my life Mm -hmm. doing so I might as well give it a shot and we'll see how that goes Mm -hmm. love to hear it love to hear it all right with that being said This concludes our episode. Ethan, 
dude, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to do this. Not only to record it once, but to record a second time after all the stuff we've been through in the last, I don't know, hour and a half. But 100%. with that being said, Ethan, sign us off. I'm Ethan Flynn, and this is The Locker Room, where sports unite us and the stories inspire us. Thanks for having me, Wyatt. I really appreciate it. Anytime, man. Peace out, y'all. See you guys.